For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hello and good evening, everyone out there in Hoosier land. This is the coach Shannon Griffith, also known as Coach Griff, coming to you tonight on the Believe Network with the Hoosier Football Tailgate, a new podcast video cast here on the Believe platform. I'm glad to get this thing started and rolling as the Hoosiers open up Saturday against the Ohio State Buckeyes. We'll talk a little bit about that later, but for now, I just wanted to introduce myself. I'm a 28-year coaching veteran of college football spent eight years at Ball State University under the head coach Bill Lynch, who was a former IU head coach. Also, my son Isaac Griffith was a ride receiver for Kevin Wilson back in 2013 through 18. Did not finish up his career after suffering a major knee injury at Penn State that unfortunately ended his playing days. But hey, I'm a new kid on the block bringing you a little bit of IU football. My love for Indiana goes back to my son's uh, playing days as a parent, as well as as coaching against several different IU coaches, uh, one of them being Bill Mallory. Cam Cameron is one of them when I was at Ball State. So my purpose of uh, bringing you something different here on the airways of, of uh, college football is more or less trying to give you maybe a little better insight of maybe what's going on through a coach's perspective during a game and in front of a crowd of 50, 60,000. Understand that, been there, have uh, been a part of those type of games. But I wanted to talk, maybe take you a little bit more in depth into all this and give you some more insight. I'm also going to have some guests come on uh, on our show uh, throughout the uh, football season. Uh, tonight we'll have Zach Osterman joining us from the Indianapolis Star. IU beat writer, have a lot of respect for Zach and his insights on Hoosier football and all things Hoosiers. He does a great job with the Indianapolis Star. He's going to join us a little bit later and give his uh, thoughts and details about the Hoosiers as we head into Saturday's game against the Ohio State Buckeyes at uh, <clears throat> Memorial Stadium in, at, in Bloomington, a 3.30 kickoff on CBS, on CBS as the new contract kicks in for the television rights for, for uh, the Big Ten. Also, um, tonight we're going to look at maybe the schedule a little bit in depth on who the Hoosiers are going to be facing, and then we'll talk a little bit about the Ohio State game. Being that this is our first broadcast and it's a Thursday night, a little bit of the logistics are still being worked out with me and the Believe Network on 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 this podcast. Uh, probably going to look at being at least once, maybe twice a week, some uh, insight uh, previews and reviews of previous games. But since this is the kick 
kickoff to the opening season uh, of the 2023 season, I wanted to get on tonight and give you a little bit of both, a little bit of of preview, a little bit of insight from uh, Zach, and more or less talk a little bit about the Hoosiers and what they look uh, face this 2023 season. Um, Now, one thing I want to make clear, this is for the love of it. I enjoy being a part of the broadcasting. I've been broadcasting now for about seven or eight years here up in the Fort Wayne, Indiana area, associated with 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM, doing high school football. Also do another podcast called Upon Further Review that critiques and studies the football in Northeast Indiana. And as you may know, that Northeast Indiana has become a pretty big hotbed for Big Ten recruits. I believe we've got four or five up here this year, one of them over in New Haven, uh, Mylon Graham, the wide receiver that has committed to the Ohio State Buckeyes. So there's a lot of talent up here. We'll also talk with some recruiting throughout the year to give you a better insight of maybe who Indiana is pursuing, who maybe they are getting uh, a chance to pick up a commit from. But all those things will will, will follow uh, suit as, as they come about and we'll take it step by step. But again, appreciate you joining me here tonight. Being a solo guy, it's not uh, not always easy to be the guy, only the guy behind the mic, but let's try to get this thing done and get it done right and have some fun along the way. One of the things I think about this season uh, that you're going to find out is some of the rule changes that are coming to college football and a lot of it is dealing with uh, the uh, speed of play of which a game uh, is played. You know, some of these games have gone as long as three and a half hours and with all the TV timeouts and such, it can it can get drawn out pretty big. But one of the biggest rule ch- changes uh, is the clock and how it is handled on first down situations. Normally when a first down happened, you would get the uh, stoppage of play to move the chains and then the ball would uh, then they would wind the clock and get things rolling upon the snap. But now what is going to happen is they are not going to stop the clock. Uh, Only the time that they will stop the clock up for a first down is in the last two minutes of the first half or the last two minutes in the fourth quarter. So that's going to be a huge game. I think there's been some studies down that that some 65 some odd plays in total may be affected by that new rule as it goes into effect this Saturday all over college football. Also, one of the other big ones and one that I'm applauding greatly because I I've been on both sides of it. I didn't like it uh, from a lot of standpoints, but you know, some people may argue against it is no more consecutive timeouts. So you can no longer try to ice the kicker uh, with consecutive timeouts that you may have seen in the past where a team may have two and sometimes three timeouts that they haven't even utilized in, in the ball game. And maybe it's before the half, maybe it's before the end of the game and they're going to try to ice the kicker and that no longer is in effect. So you only, get that one single time out and if you do get, try to do two uh, I believe it's going to be a five yard penalty uh, that will be marked off against you but you know I think that's up for debate on who who may like that who may not like that and when it comes down to uh, game management in those things um, as a fan I, I just never liked it from the standpoint of the consecutive timeouts on whether to ice the kicker or not now some will say well you need that because it's probably in some 
article somewhere that said that that is a proven tactic that has high success. I just never found it to uh, really uh, have that much of effect, but I guess that's uh, to each their own, so to speak, in that regard, as it pertains to that particular rule. I think the biggest one is going to be uh, the clock's not stopping now on first downs, especially throughout the first and second half, unless you're in the last two minutes of either, um, because you know those are seconds that are going to keep running and keep ticking down. So offenses are going to have to be highly aware of that now. For the teams that like to do the <clears throat> no huddle hurry up, um, it it may be a benefit for them in the re, in the in, from the standpoint of uh, they're already in that mode of hurry up, get set, get ready, and go, and so it may provide them some time to do those necessary things that they need to do with uh, clock management as it pertains to a game. You know, I think the other thing that I think that uh, has been going on here over the last few weeks is uh, Indiana not naming a starting quarterback as of yet. Of course, we'll find out at 3.30 first play of the game who that's going to be. Now, I think if you um, took a vote on who who that person may be, I think most of them would say it's uh, Taven Jackson. Uh, the transfer from Tennessee, and I would say you're pretty pretty right, uh, much right on that. But Sorensby is another one that's been in the mix, and those two have had a, a great battle uh, for that uh, number one spot all through camp. And I think one thing that can be pointed out in a positive is you really need two quarterbacks, as we've IU has proven time and time again. They've always had some quarterback issues with injuries, so having two that are fully capable is is a uh, definite positive for the Hoosiers. The other thing that you can look to as well is the the, the Williams kid who, you know, tore his ACL last year late in the season. Um, showing some, you know, promise as that quarterback that Tom Allen likes the ability to have that they can run it and throw it and it's very mobile has progressed well from his ACL. And matter of factly, I think he's been taking snaps here over the last few weeks in camp. And uh, Coach Allen, I think, uh, uh, talked about that on his radio show the other night and uh, earlier this week during the uh, his weekly presser that uh, they were even quite surprised at uh, the progression that he's made through all of this to be in a position to where he's getting back to that full strength. So that could add a interesting dynamic when it comes to that position. Uh, But the quarterback room there for the Hoosiers is strong. And I don't think that, uh, um, They've had this much talent there in quite some time. I think Jackson has the ability to be a special quarterback. I watched him during his playing days at Center Grove. Um, I think he's a quarterback beyond his years. He has a very calm disposition about him. Uh, He can uh, be a prolific drop-back passer, but he also has the ability to get out on the run. And I think uh, offensively, uh, Coach uh, Bell is going to have a – 
fun time with him if he is the starting quarterback for the Hoosiers come Saturday. Now, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they both not do not take snaps, at least here for the first two weeks. Um, not look, you know, from a looking ahead standpoint, you got Indiana State next week, and then I believe Akron after that, but or Louisville and Akron are within those first four games. We'll talk about the schedule here in a, in a little bit, but um, I think you could say that uh, the quarterback room is well representative with who they've got, um, and I know that uh, Jackson being in one of the many transfers. Uh, that IU has on their roster this year, I think can be a potential special, special kid uh, for the Hoosiers uh, for years to come. And talking about transfers um, and the portal, Tom Allen has been a coach that's used it quite extensively in rebuilding this roster for the Hoosiers. I think at one point I, I, I thought I heard someone speaking about it, as many as maybe 50 kids uh, through the transfer portal over the last year. Um, you know, that's quite a bit. And when you look at the portal now and what it enables teams to do, um, you know, you're not going to see your national powers, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, uh, Alabama, so forth and so on, uh, going and getting a lot of portal kids, um, you know, because their talent level is such that their ones and twos, there's not much drop off. Um, I think one thing that helps a team like Indiana with a portal use is um, the ability to uh, strengthen their depth and bring in some talented kids. I think uh, they've gotten a few, uh, especially both offensively and defensively, that I think will be interesting to watch. I think it'll be a great storyline on, you know, how this may or may not help the Hoosiers for the 2023 season. But I would say that Coach Allen and his staff have used it quite extensively in their evaluation. Now, when I was coaching, uh, of course, we didn't have the portal. Now, we use the junior colleges quite extensively, and it's pretty similar uh, when you think about it because um, a lot of kids that went to junior college would play there for at least uh, two years uh, before they came out. Um, same thing for a lot of kids that are in the portal. You know, they're at a place where maybe their first two years are not what they thought it would be and they transfer or a kid's looking to transfer prior to his final years of eligibility um, is up and they're looking for a change of scenery. Um, so there's an opportunity to get a lot of good kids and really great players uh, in a quick fashion. So that's a storyline that we'll have to look at and evaluate as the season goes on uh, with these Indiana Hoosiers. Um, also, with that, a couple new additions uh, to the coaching staff uh, with Indiana, and I'm, this is something that I will also talk with Zach with. You got Bob Bobstead, the the uh, veteran offensive line coach, twenty I think 20, 30 years of, of coaching. He was at Wisconsin for a number of years, and uh, – it, you know, that's another storyline is, you know, the offensive line play over the last few years has really not been up to standards uh, at IU. Uh, it's not all coaching either. Uh, some of that is recruiting and uh, in development and things of that nature. But Coach Bobstead, I think, is a huge hire for IU. Um, and I think that 
from what I'm hearing uh, out there on the on the beaten path, so to speak, is uh, the impact that he's already made in, in that meeting room with those kids that are in the line room. Because uh, I think the one thing that he brings to the table instantaneously is the repetition of being a great technician, uh, somebody that has a great demeanor about himself on, on and off the field and how he handles kids. So I think it's going to be an interesting um, take to see how well this offensive line for the Hoosiers can improve, uh, especially when they only have, I believe, two restarters returning up front. Um, if, if, if memory's not, mis- you know, if I'm not mistaken, uh, but I think with coach Bobstead, that's going to be a huge, huge, um, uh, improvement in that room with the offensive line. Now, the biggest thing that I think I use always fought with that position is depth, um, where you have a pretty big drop off from your first team guy to your second team guy. But I know with the portal, they've tried to address some of those situations. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised if you don't see six, seven guys rotating in the in and out of the lineup there with the offensive line. But there's reason to, to believe there's some excitement there for the Hoosiers and their offensive line, especially with what they like to do offensively. Then defensively, uh, they they went out and hired Matt uh, Guerra and DC. The interesting take on that one is he was hired by Kevin Wilson when Kevin got the Tulsa job, and he was Matt was a uh, analyst at Ohio State. He had actually gone to Tulsa to take that defensive coordinator's position. And then when the opportunity presented itself for Coach Allen, he went out and, and rustled him away from Coach Wilson from Tulsa and brought him to Indiana. And there's a lot of people that are that are singing his praises as a uh, as a coach uh, and a uh, and a coordinator. And I think he's going to add to their philosophical approach defensively. Uh, I think he has a lot of the same similarities that coach Allen has from a defensive coach's perspective. He's aggressive and he's a technician teaching technique and stuff, working with a secondary. So two big hires that we'll maybe talk a little bit with uh, Zach about when we get him on here in a few minutes or so. Um, one last thing is uh, remember that Louisville game is at Lucas oil stadium. Uh get a chance to be off campus and play in uh, a dome arena. Now they have the op- option there to open it up, of course, but uh, kind of be interesting to get some of your guys' uh, opinions of the Hoosiers giving up a potential home game to go play in Lucas Oil Stadium uh, this season. But uh, that one, uh, too, will be interesting because now that Jeff Brom is the head coach at Louisville, uh, at least there's a lot of uh, familiarity with both with both programs uh, for for that particular particular game. You know, some interesting storylines that are developing out of of all this, you know, not naming a starter 
at the quarterback position is one. The other one is this not naming a kicker. I mean, there's a controversy <laughs> amongst in, in Bloomington, but uh, we're going to have to wait and see who, who the kicker is going to be that will kick extra points and field goals. But I found that uh, uh, a little interesting uh, that uh, you normally don't hear that. Uh, from the standpoint of a coach not naming a kicker. But uh, I know that got a lot of uh, interesting takes in the uh, media this week as it pertains to that. Um, about a shared it already, but I've never been in all my days coaching, uh, even as a quarterback coach. I never felt you gave you one advantage over the other on who the starter was going to be or not going to be. Not that there's much difference between the two quarterbacks that Indiana has. Uh, I don't think it has the uh, mental effect on kids nowadays or coaches from the perspective of a defense not knowing who they're going to face um, in today's game. Uh, I don't think that really carries much weight uh, maybe as it used to uh, in that regard. But, you know, that's again, that's another uh, opinion uh, that can go either way in terms of what your thoughts may or may not be. Uh, from the coaching standpoint, you do it from the stand. You don't want to give a a team uh, that you're you're lining up against that first game any insight to who you may be playing because maybe they know that playing one over the other is going to give them certain things that they can do that they might not do if the other kid was in there. But I can guarantee you this: Coach Jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator, over for the Ohio State Buckeyes, is a very uh, a very good defensive coordinator. Uh, I faced some of his teams, especially when he was in the Mac many years ago. And uh, uh, he is a, a very knowledgeable defensive coordinator. And uh, I think they're coming off a year where uh, losing that big game at the end of the year didn't set too well with them as a whole and the Buckeye nation as well, losing to Michigan in the way they did. So you're going to see a very uh, talented, uh, rich Ohio state defense coming into Memorial stadium on Saturday. You know, some other things that, you know, we, we could get into uh, as the year goes on as well is, you know, this recruiting game and how that all goes. We'll talk to you a little bit about that, but NIL, and all the different collectives that are now associated with the NIL. Uh, I know the Hoosiers have, I think, three or four uh, that they're uh, that they're actively involved with. And I know that it was a big priority of Coach Allen. The last time I talked to him back in the winter months was uh, really getting something uh established uh with that uh for the betterment of the program and the kids you know the schools cannot have any uh say so uh in that and you know it's run outside of the confines of the program and uh but they're allowed to talk about it promote it and things of that nature um on three.com is a, as a source you can go to that, uh, can give you valuations of kids NIL worth. Um, I think Jackson, uh, Taven was, uh, about 80 K 
to 120k uh, of value. Um, last year, I was reading where uh, uh, Manning, who signed with Texas, he, before he even stepped on campus, his NIL worth was in the neighborhood of three to four million. Um, so you can see how these things can get really uh, lopsided quickly, uh, depending on where a kid may or may not go. And that's why Coach Allen was wanting to make sure that they had uh, a very strong collective uh, that could be uh, presented and shown to recruits of potential options that, that they may have um, and things like that. Before we go on any further here, just do me a favor. It's the Hoosier thing to do. Hospitality, so to speak, is hit the uh, hit the subscribe button there and the and the notification bell that lets you know when we're on or when a uh, episode has been uploaded uh, for you or whenever I may go live. But I appreciate that and tell your fellow friends and other Hoosier faithful out there that is looking for something maybe they can learn. Uh, listen to prior to uh, kickoff is listening to the Hoosier football tailgate on all the podcast platforms, as well as YouTube and Twitter. Uh, you can follow uh, us on Twitter at Hoosier tailgate 55. That's on the X, I guess I should say, cause Elon's changed everything. But, uh, and if you have any questions, you can see on the ticker at the below, you can email us at Hoosier tailgate 55 at gmail.com. We're waiting here for Zach, uh, to join us here on the Hoosier tailgate. And we're going to be right back and wait for him to get with us here and hopefully he'll be joining us here shortly. But we'll be right back here with the Hoosier football tailgate right here on the Believe Network. Welcome back to Hoosier football tailgate. Now joining us is Zach Osterman from the Indianapolis Star, the IU beat writer, who right now is probably burning the midnight oil amongst anything out there with Football getting ramped up and ready to go. But, Zach, I would imagine you're ready to get things rocking. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, listen, spring and summer are nice. It's nice to have the, the time off and the, the slow time. But once you once you hit the season, you do kind of just feel like, hey, let's just let's just get going. Let's get rolling. <laughs> uh, well, enough, enough preseason camp. Let's see the real thing. Well, nothing like jumping right into Ohio State for your for your opener to get uh, added on Saturday, and of course, plenty of games here on Thursday night, rocking and rolling. But first question I wanted to ask you and get your take on it: You know, Indiana hasn't named a starter at quarterback mm -hmm. yet. Um, when I was coaching, I never really had a feeling one way or the other it didn't matter to me if we announced it or not i was under the always under the impression why not just announce it now i know some people out there may debate me on that but who is give me some of your insights who do you think is going to line up for that first snap on saturday afternoon i'll be honest and, and this is what i've i've told everybody who's asked i um at least in what we were able to see. And of course there's a lot of fall, you know, I mean, we, we got more access to practice and scrimmages and things like that. than um, I think, I think most big 10 reporters get right. Most big 10 football programs allow. Um, 
you know, there was still plenty that obviously we didn't see. And what we could see, it was very hard to separate them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brendan Swarsby and Taven Jackson. Now, obviously, not the same quarterback. Um, Swarsby's probably a little bit better of a thrower. Jackson um, is probably a little bit better on the move. And I mean that throwing as well as running. Right. Although, um, you know, it's always kind of hard to gauge how good of a runner a quarterback is when he can't get hit. Um, which, which, you know, Indiana, like many programs, does not allow quarterbacks to, to take tackle contact in practices. Um, and the other thing, too, is there's, you know, there's not, it's not like one of them's a lot more experienced or, you know, one of them's, I don't know, much taller and stronger or one of them's, you know, just got some, you know, unnatural, you know, talent that can, they can, you know, be on their knees on the goal line and throw it to the opposite 20 or something like that. I mean, they're, they're both good quarterbacks, they're both young quarterbacks, they both look like it sometimes. They go about the position slightly differently, but not so much so that you would call them completely different mm-hmm. players. And, it, I mean, it really felt through full camp like there was almost like tissue papers with right. between. And, you know, Tom Allen – in my time covering him has, has never really been a, a two quarterback guy. He's, he's right. That, that's really interested him. Um, and I'm, I, I'm, so I'm loath to sort of predict this now, but <laughs> I do, I do more opposing radio during Ohio state week than I do basically. I mean, I think the entire rest of the year, just because Ohio yeah. state football is such a, right. a large thing. And, the more I got asked if Allen would consider playing both guys, the more I sort of wondered if he might. And that's that's one of those things where at some level it almost feels like I'm just talking myself into it <laughs> because we've been wondering what the answer to this question is for so long. But I wonder if there's an extent to which Allen might say, if I can't separate them in practice, then maybe there's some way I could separate them on game day. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, well, they, you know, they they are very close. Well, I think there's no question that I've always felt that uh, Tom is a pretty straight shooter. I really don't think he's a, you know, poker player and a lot of things that he says. I think he's pretty straightforward and you can take him at his word when he talks about them and you can get that sense that, you know, one day it's one, the other day it's the other one. You know, um, my impression, and I've not seen uh, Sorensby throw or anything like that kid out of Texas. You know, he had a pretty storied career down there, of course. But I, you know, it's hard not to know about Taven and 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 what he did at Center Grove. And I thought he even at Center Grove when uh, I thought he was going to be a special special kid just on his maturity. I always thought like he was a little bit beyond his years um, in that regard, because there's something about him, you know, that it factor that you can neither, you know, you can never describe or articulate what that is, but you just get around a kid like that. And you're like, man, you know, he's really got something. I, and that's kind of how I feel about him. I told Tom when I talked to him a while ago that I thought that he had a chance to be really special, but um 
I think you're right. I alluded to this a little bit earlier uh, when I was talking here. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he plays two. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't play two for the better part of the first couple games to get a true uh, insight on uh, who's that guy going to lead the huddle because one may have a great command on the field during games and maybe not so much during practice, and you just really don't know, like you said, until they get punched in the nose. Um, But I do think – and and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, this is probably the strongest quarterback room that Indiana has had in quite some time, especially if Williams, you know, returns to his previous level of competitiveness, you know, after having that ACL. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, competition wise, it's, it's probably up there. I, I, I don't know if it's necessarily going to be as productive overall as, Michael Penix and Peyton Ramsey were together in 2019. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's true. I can I can see and, that. You know, and, and and when I talk about you know traits that might separate them, you know, like Ramsey was older than Penix. Ramsey obviously started more in college, and I'm thinking back to 2019 when when Penix kind of took the job from Ramsey. Mm-hmm. And Tom's words were, and this isn't exactly verbatim, but it's close. I still remember what he said. He said it wasn't anything Peyton didn't do. It was what I thought Absolutely. Michael, yeah. what I thought Michael could be. And you could watch those two guys, and you could, you know, you. I mean, that's that's probably as good of a one-two as I've ever known Indiana to have. Yeah. You, know, you could see Peyton Ramsey in practice with his steadiness, his leadership. You know all the things that that kind of he became known for, not just in Indiana, but of course people will remember he goes on to Northwestern and his one year Northwestern by the Big Ten West, and then you'd watch you know Penix and he was still very young then he was only a redshirt freshman so he still yeah. made redshirt freshman mistakes at times, but then he also had these moments where you just thought man, <laughs> how many guys can make that play? How many guys can right. make that throw? How many guys can even see that throw? Mm-hmm. Much less make it. Um, and I'm not trying to do these these two down. I don't know that they've got quite as many of those moments, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yet, to your point about, about practice players versus game players, you know, I think Penix and Ramsey each had a little bit of that in them too. And I think that's it, that is a hard thing to define. Um, I mean, in, in, geez, in any sport, like it's it's nowhere near the same level. Like, I mean, I help coach little five down here, and. You know, I've had riders in the past where I kind of look at them, you know, in January, February, and March. I'm like, I wish you'd work a little harder. I wish you'd be a little more focused, whatever. Then we get to race day, I stick them in there, and they're the steadiest, most reliable, <laughs> most, yeah. you know, like, like it's just like, okay, I'll never have to. I mean, we had a kid like that just a couple of years who graduated a couple of years ago. He wrote all four years, and it was just like, I remember seeing him as a freshman thinking, I will never have to worry about you again. Like yeah. you, you'll just, I don't, it doesn't matter what you do the other 364 days a year on race day, you will show up and you will just be mm-hmm. solid and you will do everything we need you to do. And that's where I kind of come back to this idea that, that maybe, you know I mean? To your point about maybe it even going a couple games, maybe let these guys try to sort it out on the field and listen, you know, Hey, I mean, I think everyone can be realistic about Indiana's chances and, and just Ohio State as a, a a program as an opponent annually for Indiana. But let's say it's let's just say it's Taven that starts on Saturday and there's maybe a plan to play both. And then 
Indiana tears off three straight touchdown drives. Well, no, then, then you're not, you know, you're not pulling that guy. Or if it's no, source, right. same thing, if it's Sorsby and Indiana's out there and it's 21 to seven Indiana midway through the second quarter because he's dealing and he's poised and he's smooth and he's, you know, he's just playing real. No, then that, that guy, there you go. Like that guy sort of proved it on game day. But let's assume that whoever starts struggles a little bit because it's Indiana, Ohio State, and that's always a tough game. You know, maybe you give them both that chance to try and prove it. If you if you genuinely don't feel like you can separate them in practice, maybe you try to let them separate themselves on the game field. And to your point, I mean, maybe it's maybe it's even a couple games because right. you know it's it's again. I'm I'm not trying to be casual, but. It is Indiana, Ohio State. You have to be realistic about what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't beaten them since 1988. It's the longest active losing streak between two opponents in like in 29 all- games. It's like something yeah. like 29 games. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's 27, 20. It's, it's not quite 30, but it's 27, 28, 29, somewhere up there. So you have to you have to understand in the back of your mind as a coach. You don't say it to your players, but in the back of your mind as a coach, you understand, hey, this is what we're up against, and this is, you know, positives that we can take and all that different kind of stuff. Um, so maybe you give them a little bit of Indiana State too, you know, just mm-hmm. so it's not like, oh, you didn't play well against Ohio State. Well, you know, that, that applies to a lot of quarterbacks. So, it's a, I mean, listen, it's a tough call, but you're also right. At some point, Indiana is going to get Dexter Williams back. And Tom Allen has, I mean, the, the number of times he has sort of brought up Dexter Williams without anybody really asking. I know. Tells me, without, without, tells me he thinks he's going to need Dexter Williams at some point this year. Yeah. And I don't think Indiana expected that when he got injured last year that he'd be available. And it is a bit of a surprise. And it's still going to be at, at least – probably mid-late October before he's available. But he is practicing, he's throwing, he's in pads. Of course, he's non-contact, and there's some areas where he's still limited. And I do think that Tom thinks he may need him at some point this year too. So, Well, that's true. And, and um, you know, you hate to see what happened to that kid last year, but unfortunately that's part of it. You know, I called it the Michael Penix jinx because that's what, that's what Penix's problem was at Indiana was his injury-prone uh, that he fought there for a better part, part of a couple of years. You know, the other thing I wanted to get your insight on in this, and it kind of goes hand in hand. I, I mean, even when I was coaching, you know, as a quarterback coach, uh, sometimes I would talk with my offensive linemen and get a feel for who they felt confident with uh, in the in, underneath center and in the, in the huddle and such, just not to say who would you play, but just to kind of get a – uh, more of a personality trait of of a quarterback that may maybe you don't see, but IU went out and got two really good uh, coaches. Well, one being the offensive line coach Bob Bobstead. Um, I can speak from my years in coaching. You know, he's probably one of the better offensive line coaches in the country. Um, how how do you think his impact has been felt thus far there at IU? I mean, I have been. More impressed than I, I thought I'd be during fall camp mm-hmm. with the line, and you know, you know even better than I do. It, it can be dangerous to, to try and draw too many conclusions just from preseason. You need to see it sort of played out live against opponents. Um, but I think Indiana is better along both lines of scrimmage, and you know, on defense. That's largely because of the transfers they took. And, right. And I think 
some impact older guys that have worked their way very quickly into that rotation. On the offensive line, though, I mean, there's there's you know, there's one transfer, Max Longman from UMass, that'll play some. There's a couple other guys that came in later that, that may work their way in. But most of of the guys that are going to um, be top of the rotation players, you know, in your top seven or eight, are guys that were here before. And so yeah. when you talk about, you know, if this line is better, it's going to come down. I'm not trying to pick on Darren Hill or anyone who was here before, but if this line is better, it's going to come down to the way it responds to Bob Bostad. I think, I mean, certainly people, the way people around the program talk about him, they're very hopeful. Um, the performance of his line and what we've been able to see has been encouraging. I think the other thing that, that strikes me about Bostad is he had a, a, a funny time at, at Wisconsin in that he coached offensive line and then he coached inside linebackers. I know. A, just a really big staff shakeup at yep. Wisconsin. Then he went back to offensive line. And he obviously had a lot of success at offensive line. But even when he went to inside linebackers, he had some pretty good inside backers. And mm-hmm. and I talked to my buddy Jeff Patrikas, who's covered Wisconsin football for a thousand years. Yeah. And you know what what Jeff said was he's just a good football coach. Absolutely. You know, he, he just he understands the game and its technical details, but he also just he connects with players. He gets guys to play hard. Um, you know, he 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 builds a sense of confidence. Confidence is, a, I think, a, a really big thing in his mind. In terms of, you know, I'm not saying he's I'm not saying he's a soft touch as a coach, but I think, well, he can be, well, he can be hard on his players. I think he wants, in in a weird way, it's funny because he seems kind of like that that gruff, you mm-hmm. know, sort of right. offensive little coach. But I think that there's an element of wanting to be much more positive with his players than you might think just at, at first glance with him because he I think a lot of what he preaches is a confident player is a better player than maybe they even think they could be. And right. so um you know I, I'm always hesitant to say some stuff like oh well if he can't fix it no one can. Um <laughs> but it but it does feel like you know, there is a lot of excitement around him, around that hire, around what he's been able to do so far. And I think there's a lot of there's a lot of hope that basically, you know, his skills and his approach have just connected with what is ultimately a very veteran group and that that group will be better this year than it's been the last couple. Yeah. And, and uh, I would agree with some of the things that I've heard from a distance. Very, very, very good coach, technician. Um, really gets kids bought in. And, you know, one thing that's hurt IU uh, offensive line is depth. And, and part of that is, is progression of bringing kids in and developing them. And I think he will pay big dividends in that field alone. Uh, time will tell, but opinion wise, I think that's it. Talk about the defensive coordinator, Coke, uh, defensive coordinator, um, that they that they got here, uh, it's an interesting dyma- uh, dynamic. Is that he, this? Uh, he had gone with Kevin Wilson to Tulsa, and I think he was there for a week. And I find that a little ironic. But uh, talk about you know kind of your impressions of Matt. He's very young. He's younger than me, which freaks me out a little bit, to be honest. Um, <laughs> a couple of that are younger than I am. Um, he's very energetic. I think you can see 
I think you can see personality wise what he would fit well with Tom Allen. Um, it, you know, it, it is interesting to just, you know, we have, um, we have tried, I have tried anyway, um, over the years to sort of pick a little more around the edges of basically trying to get Tom to explain what his non-negotiables are with regard to his defense Mm -hmm. and what he leaves up to his coordinator when someone else is calling plays. And there's some, some obvious stuff, you know, they'll always run the four, two, five. They'll always have this sort of like hybrid Husky position. They'll always try to have this sort of, um, hybrid that they call it a bull position, you know, different right. defenses call it a different things. I think other defense, I've heard other defense call it a wolf before. Um, it's sort of like an in linebacker edge rusher, you know, sort of player, but he's never really shared Tom. This is, um, you know, a lot of specifics. And he probably never will. I'll keep trying and he'll probably keep shutting me down. <laughs> um, you know, this idea of just sort of like what, what do you sort of like the, 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 the very bad analogy that I use is it's like Tom presents his coordinator with like the blueprints for a house. And he says, the foundation will be here and the studs will be here and the walls will be here. Right. But you get to decide, you know, how to lay out the kitchen and which room's the family room and which room's the dining room and whether you want to finish the basement and, you know, do you want a fence in the backyard and all that kind of stuff. It's just that we've never really been able to find, um, I've never been able to, to find like an, an adequate sort of like just, just down and dirty explainer of, of how Tom presents that. And so it's hard to know, you know, exactly kind of where the water's edge is going to be for Matt Guerrero. But I do think that you see, again, he's very young relative to the coaching profession. He's in his early mid thirties. He's, very enthusiastic, very energetic. Um, and I think you see some of that, those, those same sorts of ways of thinking about defense, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Now, listen, you know, um, Tom's turned over defensive play calling duties twice. It went great with Kane Womack, who he had a long standing relationship with. Of course, he learned the defense from Kane's dad. Right. Um, and then it, it it went poorly with Charlton Warren, who was only there for a year. Uh, some of that was, I think, probably down to Warren's performance. Frankly, some of it was also, I think, just, you know, I mean, by the end of that season, Indiana's defense was so banged up. You had, right. you had big-time players out injured and other guys that it turned out um, were playing – hurt playing with broken ribs playing with bad shoulders because they just looked around and said everybody else is hurt if i don't do it nobody will right so you don't want to hold too much i guess against um charlton warren in that regard but it is therefore kind of hard to take those two experiences and overlay them onto how what to expect of guerrero other than i do think again he thinks about defensive football in some similar ways pressure um, creative blitz packages and, you know, always every defense wants to take the ball away, but, but always this emphasis on, we are going to, you know, do everything we can. We're going to move heaven and earth to create what 
I guess we've taken in, in football to calling havoc plays, mm-hmm. you know, tackles for loss, sacks, turnovers, any sort of negative play. Right. Um, and I think if Indiana can do that, then, you know, Matt Gray is going to do it a little differently, but I think Tom Allen's still going to feel like he's seen the, you know, the same, the, the underpinnings that he wants there, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and I think Tom's going to still have his hands involved with it. Cause that's just who he is and that's his makeup. But, uh, you know, I've been impressed that, you know, what they've been able to do, uh, in terms of luring some of these guys into, uh, Indiana, I think has been a big positive, uh, for the program in that regard. And I think it'll help in the development of their depth as we, you know, as it goes on. And we'll talk about transfers another time, the portal, but I know that, uh, you probably need to go get your uh, beauty sleep. So you're ready to go. Cause it's not too far to kick off. And I appreciate you jumping on here with me for a little bit, Zach, and, uh, hopeful to see you sometime down the road. Absolutely. It was a lot of fun. We'll, uh, we'll chat soon. We got, we'll have real football here to talk about. It's the, the nights are colder and, uh, longer every, every time I go to bed. So <laughs> you, know, you know what time of year we're headed toward. That's right. Zach Osterman from the Indie star. I use beat writer. Thanks for joining us. Zach. We'll catch you later here on the Hoosier football tailgate. Have a good one Saturday. Appreciate Zach jumping on tonight and, uh, you know, did a great job uh, in his following uh, over the years and his writing and, you know, got to know him when my son was playing down at IU and uh, always very, uh, very detailed in his approach and what he likes to do uh, covering IU sports in general. Uh, You can take that from his writing uh, as you see it uh, each and every week at the Indy Star. Uh, wanted to jump ahead here real quick and start, you know, looking at the schedule as we as we move through the 2023 preview here. Um, of course, we got the big Ohio State game. We're going to talk a little bit of preview of that here in a short minute. Of course, then the following week, the, the Hoosiers play Indiana State. Now, that game's on a Friday night. That's a Friday night kickoff on the Big Ten Network at 7 o'clock. Uh, Indiana State comes to town led by Kurt Mallory, of course, Bill Mallory's son, and uh, I'm sure he'll have his Sycamores fired up and ready to play at Memorial Stadium uh, on September the 8th. Note that as a Friday night kickoff. Then Lucas Oil Stadium, Louisville comes to town, 12 o'clock kickoff on the Big Ten Network. Another uh, familiarity there with Jeff Brom now being the head coach at Louisville. And uh, I think that's another game that the Hoosiers – you know, I think they need to get a W in that game. I don't think there's any question that some of these uh, three of these first four, um, you know, uh, ideally get the W's in these fir- three of these first four. And I think they'd be setting up pretty well uh, coming into uh, that Akron game on the 23rd. Again, another home game for the uh, for the Hoosiers. Um Again, that one will be uh, to be a determined uh, time and such. So you'll have to wait and the time. But Akron, a very good MAC program over the years. Uh, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see what they bring uh, to Memorial Stadium as a football team. Always remember, MAC schools 
uh, are always licking their chops to get a shot at a Big Ten opponent because uh, a lot of the kids that they have on their programs were one time recruited and maybe just didn't make the cut for the big time programs. Then they head down to Maryland on September 30th, and that's going to be a fine Maryland football team. Uh, of course, that's going to be a big game for them. Again, that'll another be another to be determined. And then, of course, Michigan. Uh, they go to Mich- Michigan on October the 14th. So you can see there, they got a pretty good gauntlet of games there with Ohio State, Louisville, Maryland, and Michigan right off the bat there uh, for the Hoosiers as they as they start the 2023 season. And I think the biggest thing is right after that, they have Rutgers for homecoming, which will be a 12 o'clock kick talk kickoff there on October the 21st. And then they follow that one with a game at Penn State on October 28th. So you can see it's a pretty rapid fire for Indiana right through uh, the 21st. Now they have a bye between that 30th and 14th game at, at Michigan after Maryland. So that'll be a much needed uh, opportunity for them to get themselves uh, regrouped and uh, and ready for a big stretch run there because after Penn State, they have Wisconsin at home on the 4th, Illinois on the road, and then the big brass platoon game, Michigan State. Remember, that was a big game last year. Indiana went up there and found a way to win a game. Um, and you don't say that too much. Uh, they found a way to win that game up at Michigan State. So they're going to come in. Sparty's going to come in with a pretty big chip on their shoulder. And then, of course, it all ends on the 25th at Purdue in uh, the bucket game. Uh, And it'll be interesting to see what Purdue puts on the field this year. First-year coach there. Um, I think it's – we'll see where the Hoosiers are at that time. Of course, the magic number six. And I don't like to sit here and try to say they got to win this one or can win that one and so forth and so on. It's one of those things when you're playing in the Big Ten, um, it, it, it's a each and every week. It is a dogfight in the Big Ten. And I know sometimes that the Big Ten's talked down upon about maybe their toughness of a conference, but um, it is a darn good football conference and i think it's risen over the last few years and don't forget come 2024 they expand with some of these west coast teams coming in ucla and usc to name name a few uh come in and next thing you know the big 10 is uh east coast to west coast and uh, it will be the parameter power with a uh, schools being added and such. So look forward to uh, watching the Hoosiers go and breaking down on some of these things. I appreciate Zach from coming on and doing that and uh, really think it's uh, a uh, really tough schedule for the for the Hoosiers in that regard uh, when it comes back up to um, their schedule this year and um, you know like any year, they're going to have their hands full. But getting off the right foot, three out of the first four, I think, are pretty good games, especially because you're playing at home um, outside of the Louisville game at Lucas Oil. Uh, you're playing at home, and you've got to make those games count uh, at home. And while you're playing up at Lucas Oil, it's still a home game for the Hoosiers. Um, I hate giving up 
a home home game in terms of being in Bloomington, but I get it to get a chance to go up and play at Lucas Oil. Hopefully there'll be a big crowd for that one uh, as well. Now, you know, Ohio State's going to be a big crowd. It's going to be loud. It's going to be a very interesting game. And uh, from that standpoint and, you know, going into this final thing here with this game coming up on Saturday afternoon at 3.30 on CBS, Ohio State Buckeyes come to town. Now, they've named their starter quarterback, Kyle McCord, redshirt freshman, first-year starter, Um you know, word out of Columbus, big, strong kid, got a pretty good arm. And as you know, Ohio State's always going to have a talented kid behind center uh, each and every year. And I'm sure McCord will be another one. But if there's one positive in this scenario for the Hoosiers, again, a first-time starter, you're not facing the caliber kid like Stroud was. Um and now you got a first-time starter, not to say that there's going to be uh, potentially a lot of drop-off between the two, but uh, you got to think that he's going to have a lot of pressure on his shoulder in that first game for Ryan Day. I know that Day and his staff are very high on him, but again, being a first-year starter, redshirt freshman, uh, those are all things that Indiana uh, can exploit here in the first game. Ohio State's got 14 starters back on both sides of the ball, seven offense, seven defense. But the interesting thing is they only have, I believe, two starters back on their offensive line. So not only are you dealing with a young quarterback, you're also dealing with an offensive line that has only got two starters coming back. Now, if there's one big difference between IU and Ohio State, in my opinion, it's the depth. And while these kids that are coming in and playing for Ohio State may not have any uh, starting uh, games under their belt, uh, you're still going to be a pretty good offensive line with them. And then when you look at Ohio State, you can't look beyond um, Harrison Jr., he is a talented receiver. I was surprised that he actually came back. I thought he would have gone out after last year. And then you've got the uh, Ebuko kid uh, as well. Uh, he's a dynamite uh, wide receiver as well. So they got two, two big-time receivers on the outside that can make plays. And it's not like you can really uh, try to take one away from them. Uh, you know, as a defense, uh, of course, Harrison uh, Jr. is probably a little bit uh, better um, in terms of his ability and such. And he's going to be targeted quite a bit. Um, but if you think that Ryan Day is going to sit over there and, and, and try to uh, fit a square peg in a round hole because I use double him or, you know, playing one over the top of one underneath. Uh, he's a smart enough offensive coach to get away from that and go to the other, other spots on the field with them. The other uh, key note for Ohio state is the return of Trayvon Henderson, the running back that last year did not go quite well. He was plagued with injuries and such, um, but he is back and healthy uh, he will add to their run game of what they like to do. Now, with uh, McCord back there, you know, I think Stroud, even last year, they went to more of that prolific drop back, even though it's out of the gun, more pro-style type of offense as opposed to the uh, uh, 
up-tempo uh, type of offense. Not to say that they won't be able to do that, but uh, when you've got a kid back there like uh, Henderson, you're not going to put the ball in the quarterback's hands all, all too much when it comes to uh, their offense. Now, on the defense um, side of the ball, they got two big bookends on the defensive end with Jackson and uh, Tumeo Loa. Uh, those two kids on the defensive end, Indiana is going to have to be aware of both of them, especially in the protection uh, game. Now, if anything with the quarterback run is try to isolate those guys with some quarterback reads and such, but um, those two guys can get up the field quickly and they're going to have to do something in the passing game uh, to help those tackles out with those two defensive ends. And then you've got the Eichenberg kid at linebacker. Again, big, strong kid, very commanding player, can run sideline to sideline, north and south. He's really good. And then at safety, you've got the Styles and Hartford kid back there playing at the safety position. So seven starters back for, for Ohio State on that defensive side of the football and a pretty darn good defense uh, at that for Jim Knowles. Now, what does Jim Knowles like to do? He is a pressure-style type of, of coach. Now, one thing that got them in trouble last year, especially against Michigan, they like to do a lot of man coverage. And I know that Coach Day and and they kind of tweak some of that throughout the spring season, being able to play some coverage stuff. But um, I wouldn't be a bit surprised now if they're not bringing some heat and 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 daring I daring IU on on Saturday afternoon, especially with a young quarterback and a, a wide receiver core that I think Indiana has a pretty good receiving core um, out there uh, for them this year. Time will tell. They've, they've, they've got three or four kids that I think can get it done um, and that will be good targets for either quarterback. But uh, they're going to have to figure out ways to get open against that secondary of Indiana or uh, Ohio State. And Indiana is going to have to find ways to protect the quarterback. And that's one thing that over the last few years that Indiana has struggled to do consistently is protect the quarterback. Now, one thing that will help is the mobility over the quarterback and be able to move the pocket and stuff and create different launch points. That will help them uh, more so than it would have last year. But Indiana, pass protection-wise, that was their Achilles heel last year for the most part. And if you look at, at it from the standpoint of where IU was a year ago offensively, I was looking at the numbers here today. You know, they only averaged having the ball 25 minutes last year. They were 34% on, first, on third down conversion, which is not very good. What that tells me from a coach's perspective, when you're at 34%, you're lining up way too many times third and long. And you've got to have more efficiency on first and second down. And what I mean by that, on first and second down, You've got to be a three or four yard average on those downs so that you're setting up yourself for more medium and shorts as opposed to long situations offensively. And then defensively, their third down conversion rate was pretty good at 42 percent, but they were um, giving up a bunch of points last year uh, from for. From that standpoint, a lot of yardage, they averaged giving up 450 yards on the year and only gained 328 uh, average last year, offensively speaking, Uh, averaging about 24 a game and they were giving up 33 a game. So 
IU, you can see they've got a they've got to up their game overall, irregardless of who they're playing um, on offense and, and get more consistency on first and second downs so that they can have more conversion opportunities that fit in that medium to short range on third down. Because if they get themselves into a position of third and long again, it's going to be a long year for them offensively speaking. Now, when I look at this game, breaking it down from the standpoint of what do I think that IU uh, has to do to be able to win, um, I think one thing that they have to eliminate all out of their game plan is no cheap scores. They got to make every offense they face earn it. And uh, even a a team like Ohio State, uh, I can't believe it was maybe two, three years ago when they faced Ohio State uh, at home and gave them fits is more or less because they – they played them tooth and nail and made them earn it. Um, they cannot give up the cheap scores to Harrison, uh, especially because he's a kid that they will target deep. And uh, the worst thing that IU can do is give up cheap scores, make them earn it. They got to get Ohio State off off uh, off the board in the sense that they got to keep them behind the chains. They got to get them off schedule. And um, they, that means on they're going to have to get some negative plays. Uh, from the line of scrimmage and, and create situations where their first down efficiency for Ohio State is like I was talking about, make them have third and longs uh, a lot of time during the game and not give them the opportunity to stay on schedule because when they can stay on schedule, Ohio State is very lethal. They can really run the table when their efficiency as an offense is way up there, especially on first and second down down again a little bit of coaches speak here but they got to create turnovers and they've got to prevent from turning the ball over now last year that was one thing i use defense really wasn't as good as they have been in the past under a coach allen led defense um last year um they did not get a lot of interceptions or any uh they i think they only recovered seven uh fumbles last year um which IU, I think one year, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they had a they were uh, plus 14 or 15 on the turnover margin, if I'm not mistaken. But um, that's one thing that this year I guarantee it has been an emphasis during camp, all through last spring and through this uh, summer camp, is really working on turnovers and creating them. And if they can get t- turnovers and li- get points off of those tos. Uh, that's going to go a long way for them. Special teams-wise, you got to be solid in all phases of special team, especially in your punting game. You just can't afford to give up a block punt. You can't give up a long return. Those things will kill you. And for the Indiana, they have to win special teams. They have to win that segment phase of the game and, 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 and find ways to either steal possessions or get themselves a good return or in you know in some cases block punts. So that is a must need for them as well as offensively they've got to have balance. They got to find ways to keep Ohio State off off guard uh defensively. They cannot let Jim Knowles sit back and dictate what IU is going to do offensively because if they do that, they're just going to pin their ears and come with everything they got, and it'll be a long night for IU, not just for this game, but for the rest of the season. They have got to find ways uh, to create a balanced attack uh, 
Um, and I'm not saying it's got to be 50-50, um, but I'm talking about the sense where they can really mix the run and pass well and not become overly predictable. And I think last year they were at times just way overly predictable in their game. And some point it got to the point where when they were behind, they were having to get themselves throwing it a lot. And you just don't want to do that with the young quarterback because quarterbacks in this first game, what a coach wants to see is to manage the offense, be, be guarded with the football, make right decisions on where the ball should go and understand um, punting is a good thing. And I and what I mean by that is inning series, if you have to end them, punting it is a better way to end it than a turnover. So ball placement, ball, ball protection, uh, all those things that a quarterback needs to do, uh, especially a young kid, is going to have to come from the standpoint of being efficient in everything that they do from play fakes to throws to uh, commanding the huddle. And then the last thing for myself on this is it pertains to what IU needs to do on Saturday. They have to protect the quarterback. If that's the one thing last year that hurt them is their protection wasn't very good at times. And, and uh, that all lends itself in not being overly predictable and having efficiency on first and second down. But uh, at the end of the day, they've got to be able to protect and they're going to have to do some things with those two defensive ends that Ohio State has in order to help protect whoever's in a quarterback on that. So I want to thank you for joining along here the first uh, time for the Hoosier football tailgate. I know I went a little long and I appreciate Zach Osterman for joining us here tonight from the Indy Star. I thank you for being with me tonight as we engage on this new uh, era uh, from myself in terms of covering the Hoosiers here for the Believe Network and uh, hope to have a little bit more about that network as we work out some final details. But uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, football, love the game of football, and I do miss coaching it sometimes, especially on Saturdays. But uh, enjoy the game this Saturday. Enjoy your tailgates. And enjoy the start of the 2023 football season for the Indiana Hoosiers. Well, that will be it for me tonight. I'm the coach, Shannon Griffith, better known as Coach Griff. We'll catch you next time here on Hoosier Football Tailgate.